0: Hi and welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. We have a really exciting show for you today because first and foremost, I have one of my favorite, favorite guest co-hosts, Mr. Mervyn Denon, all the way from the UK. Mervyn, hello.
1: Hello, Trish. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, okay, we're recording this in the morning in the US. About what time is it there in the UK? Is it like dinner time?
1: yeah, in the UK, it's kind of four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I'm, I'm based in London, as listeners might know, and uh, it's very hot in London at the moment. So we're hitting 80 degrees plus every day. So it's, uh, it's a bit warm.
0: So okay, let me ask you this. I know here in the US, obviously, it's it's hot as well. We have air conditioning is that I feel like not everyone has air conditioning in London. Is that still correct? Or am I just that I know that?
1: no no that is still correct uh, it, it's it's i would say the majority of homes don't have air conditioning or although i think very modern uh, apartment blocks probably do um obviously commercial buildings do offices uh, shops and things but um it's one of those things we just we just sweat it out here i'm afraid <laughs>
0: So, I mean, you mentioned shops and things. Do you like find somewhere to go? Do you go like work in a coffee shop? Because I think, yeah, if it gets above 80 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, I think it's, it's pretty hot to work.
1: It is. Well, I work primarily from home. So it's, uh, I've got a couple of fans here in the, oh the room I use as an office. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I've got those on the go. And it's, uh, yeah, drinking water and, and, and just, you know,
0: Staying when hikes. it gets
1: far too hot, then it's, uh, it's too hot to work, but I you know if I go back to the early days of my career before offices had air conditioning, it's kind of you just turn it could be a hundred degrees outside and you'd right. you'd have shirt, suit, tie, and oh dear oh, dear we're a bit more enlightened now.
0: We're soft over here then because yeah, if it's you know ninety degrees with the air condition and the air conditioner's on, I'm still hot. I'm like still complaining <laughs> probably so anyway well good well i'm glad thank you for for co-hosting with me today we actually have a really special um guest our friend ben eubanks and before i bring him on i just want to kind of give a caveat we recorded with ben at the unleash event had a little audio snafu but i think this is actually really good because we get to dive in a little bit deeper it's not nearly as loud as it was recording at an event and um and i really want to talk a, a lot about what ben's been working on and specifically um his latest book so uh, before I welcome to the show, I want to welcome Ben Eubanks, Chief Research Officer at Lighthouse Research and Advisory. Ben, good morning.
2: Hey, Trish. Hey, Marvin. Glad to be here with you.
0: Wonderful. Well, why <laughs> don't you tell uh, everyone a little bit about you? And that can be professional, personal, and then we'll kind of get into the, the meat of the show.
2: All right, awesome. So, as you said, I'm a research nerd these days, but like you, Tresh, I started out as an HR leader years ago. So now I get the chance to do research on the tools, technologies that we use to serve our people, as well as the trends, what's changing in the workplace, all those kinds of things, and really trying to bring some insights back to all of our friends in the HR world, in the recruiting world, to help them make the next best decision. So I don't love the data for its own sake; I only love it for what it unlocks for us next. Uh, read a couple of books artificial intelligence for HR talent scarcity is the newest one and um, love to run, have four kids, 12 and under all kinds of crazy stuff going on at my house at any one time. You may hear a, a scream at any moment. So just fair warning. <laughs> it's a blast though. I, I love the summertime. I love being able to unplug and go for a bike ride with the kids, whatever else after we're all done here. And Lots of air conditioning rocking in the house, Mervyn, because it's we're down here in the south, uh, southeastern U.S., so it's 90 plus and scorching and wet blanket over your face, humid pretty much every day.
0: Wow. So you're, obviously, I'm glad you shared all that because you're a busy person. My dad always told me when I was growing up, like, if you need to get anything done, you go to the busiest person you know. So I feel like that would be you because you They're the ones that always make time. Right. And work it in. They just fit it in.
2: They know how to manage their schedule. That's why that's why um, I I love in the past when I was hiring, I look for someone who's like a mom who wants to work part time because they're like really, really great at compartmentalizing their schedule and getting the right things done in the time they have available. It's not like, oh, I've got 12 hours. I'll take 10 to just do whatever and then work in two and like, no, I've got two hours to do this. and I'm going to get it done.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, Before we get into the book, which you mentioned, I want to make sure that we take just a second as you were kind of describing your path to the current career that you have. You know, you did start out as a practitioner. I met you actually right after college, right? And I I know there are listeners who kind of stay and do a whole career within HR, which is wonderful. But when I was in HR, I didn't really know that becoming an analyst was even a path, quite honestly. Mm -hmm it seemed like this whole separate thing. I would love you to take a second to maybe expand on your path and what opportunities, if you're sitting out there listening and you're in HR right now and you're thinking like, I'd like to try something else aligned. Maybe how did you kind of make that transition and what really prompted you to make the move to being an analyst in the HR It was all your fault. Oh, no. That was
2: a joyous time to have a chance to work alongside you for for a while. That was a blast, right? Um, the, The thing is when I started... In my career in HR, I started writing a little on the side about what I was learning, how I was growing, this this new thing I was experiencing at work. Because when I'm a planner, I like to prepare for things. And when I got into the field, I was doing all this reading, trying to understand. And everything was written for someone with like 15 years of experience. Here's how you do your budget. Like, I'm not touching a budget for a long time, buddy. So I wanted to understand those things. And I couldn't find good stuff. So I started writing about what I was learning to blaze a path, sort of, and help others that were following Over time, though, I realized I really enjoyed that piece of giving back to the community, of being able to support, being able to share things I was learning, and decided in 2014 to try that full time, knowing full well, like, if I hate this, I'll just go back and get an HR job again, and then I'll just continue to do this on the side because it's plenty. But I realized I enjoyed it so much more because I wasn't just having an impact on the people that were under my purview as an HR leader, but I was able to impact potentially you know, millions of employees by serving the HR leaders at every one of those companies. So um, for example, last week, we just finished our big HR summer school event, thousands of attendees, 15,000 comments over three days. Like people are super engaged in this and it's not just a bunch of here's your content, here's your credits, but here's some encouragement on why this is the best possible career path. I believe that anyone could take, we get to serve people at this level that is incredible. And that's what I love about this profession overall and why I do what I do.
0: I love that, and Marvin, I wanna I wanna ask a question, then I'm gonna be quiet so you can do the same. But Mervin, I think you had a very similar path, right? I mean, you were a practitioner more in the recruitment space, but absolutely, you know, sort of paid some dues and then became an analyst as well. How how is Ben's story either similar or different from what you experienced?
1: Um, I suppose the difference is before I was in the recruitment world, I was actually an accountant. So I suppose I had two careers before this. Um, Although I can't even think back to the accountancy days now. I don't know what possessed me. Um, the uh, No, it, it wasn't dissimilar, I think, with me. I mean, the first time I met both of you really was over social media back in about 2009. And um, I, I was approached at that time. I was recruiting HR people. I was consulting with HR. Um, and I was just approached about uh, I started writing a blog about maybe doing some writing and and um uh, if you remember a uh, job site i worked for they wanted me to write about their research and their data and you know write for job seekers write for uh, hiring companies um and so i i kind of got very with that and then going to conferences and standing up on stage and i thought you know what i i i want to i, I want to understand more about what goes on in the world of work because i've been in the world of work i've done had two three different careers um and I I don't, you know, I, I I don't have that much of an insight into how things change, what the trends are. And so I was very interested and um I started working, you know, with a couple of uh, tech companies to to kind of analyse some of their findings and, and write about them. And it kind of went from there. It was nothing like a lot of things with me, it, it, it wasn't planned, it just happened. And, that and I, yeah. I, I I went with it because it felt really good.
0: Well, and I, and I love that you share that story because I think that for all three of us, right, we had very different paths to get us to a a very similar place right now. But I also love that it doesn't, I think sometimes when I talk to people, they get very hung up on, oh, I don't have enough years of experience to do XYZ, whatever, right? Ben, you're a good example of, you know what, fresh out of college, you had all these ideas and ambitions and you saw that you wanted to write for you, for your own curiosity, and that led you down a certain path right of expertise but also you don't have to wait until you're actually an expert in every single aspect of a topic before you can get out there because if you are curious you're writing you're researching you're learning as you go so i feel like you're a good example of that from a a career-long standpoint mervyn i love that you had two separate careers right before you were like oh i'm actually going to write because i'm curious i don't know something so i think in both cases and i'd say the same goes for me when i started blogging about the time ben did it was the same way i was writing for me i was writing so i would remember things as an hr practitioner that i wanted to remember or i would research something that i wanted to know for my job right so i think Mm -hmm. that if you're a listener um, to the show, I would say if you're someone who is kind of curious, like, I'm not sure what to do next, or I'm not sure how to change my career or expand my, my, um, my views of things, just be curious. Start writing just for yourself. It doesn't have to even be a blog, right? But the more you learn, the more people want to hear what you know. Right.
2: but a really quick example yeah. to throw in there and give you like this is heavy all- in either by the way right there's there's variations of this lots of on the spectrum mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a wonderful lady named Molly Shelton out there she actually works um, I believe currently for sugar CRM as an HR HR manager. And I had met her during the pandemic. She had lost her job, like many of our friends in HR during that time. And she said, Hey, I'm just looking for something to keep, keep me warm, keep me plugged yes. in. And so I had her doing some writing, a little bit of blogging, things like that, just to keep her in the space. She joined me on a couple of briefings to learn about technology companies. And for her, like that was such a joy. She enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm still waiting for my job back in HR. and she Now she's doing that. But during that time, she was like, I just want to kind of dabble in this and get a feel for it and see the other side, what's going on there. I never planned to make this my full career choice. It's just what I want, I want to understand more about that, because I want to get more um, up on the technology side of what's happening in HR. And she had not had that, that exposure in previous jobs. So there's lots of options out there for you listening in to to test, to experiment, to try without having to feel like you have to hold your nose and jump in and see what happens, because that that can be a big change, a lot of uh, a lot of pull there, a lot of... A lot of uh, friction potentially. So there's, there's some choices.
0: Right. I think to the people in our space who have either become bloggers or um, even analysts, if that was the next step, they're very open. So I think sometimes, too, you see, maybe you see like Ben Eubanks, right? You're you're an author. You're doing summer school. You're doing all these, you know, presentations across the globe now. Mervyn, same with you. You know, you're working on what? Book number three. Right. As we see. Hopefully it, so. Hopefully so. Right. And so, and again, they're seeing you, you know, they're seeing you on many different platforms. Right. Whether it's video, audio, whatnot. Sometimes you feel like those people are not approachable. I have found the opposite to be true. I think that people like you, Mervin, and you, Ben, are very open to talking with practitioners, even if it's just out of curiosity. Like, how how did you get where you're going? And so, I do appreciate that you both shared that. I know we didn't plan that, but that's often the best um, the best way to do things. So, Mervin, why don't we uh, kick it off on Ben's book? I'll let you start because I know you've got several things you want to ask about. But the book is Talent Scarcity, How to Hire and Retain a Shrinking Workforce. Obviously important from a global perspective. So I will hand it off.
1: Indeed. Thank you. Ben, um, You, uh, in fact, the first sentence I've seen you write was, where have all the people gone? And um, <laughs> that's the first question I want to ask you. Where, where have all the people gone? What's going on?
2: So that that question I kept getting in 2020, 2021, like where are all the people we, we're trying to hire? And like we we're increasing pay, we're trying to adjust this thing, our benefits are better than ever, and we still can't find enough people. Right? Any one of us went to a restaurant, like hey, half the tables are empty, but it's going to be a half hour wait because we have you know all these openings. And so once I heard that enough times, I said I've got to figure the answer to this. So I started really digging into the data: what's changing, what's happening. And some of these things, interestingly enough, have been happening for a very long time, and we're just now feeling the repercussions of them, right? The the demographic changes, for example, America as a country has not been at the replacement birth rate. So number of people being born per family, we have not been at that replacement birth rate for about 40 or 50 years. So we are producing less people than we need to keep our population at a sustained level. The way we've made up for that because we continue to grow is through immigration, but that's a short term answer to this. So the number of people who are reaching retirement age are increasing every day. So we're seeing more people, fewer people entering, more people leaving the workforce. That's like a really big trend. If we narrow the lens a little bit, the other things we're seeing are more people saying, you know what? When I took a pause in 2020 or 2021 because the the world changed, I took a pause, I realized I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be at this company, this job, this type of this type of manager, whatever it was. They said, I'm going to step away either for a little while or for a long while and reevaluate what I'm going to do. I may just you know, drive for Lyft or Uber for a while. I may just do something else casual, but I don't want to do this thing. That's all I do know. And so we're seeing a lot of those different things ebbing and flowing and changing. There's other, if we get like super nerdy for a second, like looking at some of the, the things the economists are looking at, there's this term called NILF, N-I-L-F, not in the labor force. There are millions of people right now prime working age no disability no other reason they couldn't work and economists have no clue why they are not currently actively working they they can't figure it out and so there's lots of things like that that are contributing to this some of them things we can remedy some things that are still a little bit puzzling and some things that we can't actually solve for like demographic stuff that's not a quick fix but all of those things are contributing to the fact that when you go to a restaurant you're waiting longer right you're you're having some of these same kind of things we're experiencing in our consumer lives we're seeing that driven by the lack of people available
1: yeah. In the UK, one of the things that they're, they're, they're hot on, I suppose, is the early retirees, mm. people, particularly with the pandemic, uh, people who maybe had a lot of equity in their home, uh, decided, you know, we didn't know how the pandemic was going to play out. But it's time for a different life. Um, and I know that government, like the last budget, you know, the, the little things aimed at trying to get people who've already maybe cashed in their pension, cashed in their equity, Uh, and don't really want to work, trying to get them back into the workforce somehow. Um, I mean, are you finding that in the U.S. or is that uh, a slightly different thing?
2: It absolutely is. So one of the things we saw in the data is that the number of people who retired that were predicted to retire, the number of people who actually retired was multiple times higher than that. Surprised the heck out of a lot of people, because as we know, during COVID, if you had higher risk factors and age is one of those, then people were more likely to say, I'm just going to stay away from this stuff. And so more of them retired than were expected. The good news is, like women who left the workforce, them, all, most all of them have come back statistically. The same thing we saw, not every retiree came back, but when wages kept creeping up, someone's like, you know what, I will come back for that pay rate. I'll, I'll be right there I'll be back on Monday. You know, they, they're coming back and filling some of those jobs again. Not all of them, but some of that is is kind of balancing out a little bit. The thing that's hard is that's a short-term fix. Right? That, that person's not gonna be working yeah. for us 15 years from now, probably if they're 70 years old, that's not not likely to happen. Um can I give you a fun example of a company that's doing a great job of this. So sure. In the book, I pulled out a lot of examples and things. I don't want to talk about this in just in big terms, abstract, and be completely detached, right? That go back to my roots as an HR leader. So for anyone listening in that's thinking, okay, this sounds neat, but what do we do? There's a company that I write about in the book called Aerospace Corp. And what they've done is actually have a, reti- a program where the day after you retire, you can come back and work for them up to a maximum number of hours a year, about a thousand hours a year. And the way it works is you get a little bit of control over that. You can say, I want to work on this project for two months and I'm done for the rest of the year. Call me back in January. Or I want to work a couple hours every week. I want to stay plugged in, stay contributing. And they're doing this for engineers, for data scientists, people who are really specialized, really expensive, hard to find, people who have relationships with their customers already, who know the projects they're working on. So they're getting all the benefits of being able to access this talent pool that no one else can access because they're saying, hey, you just retired from us. You may be completely unplugged from the world, or you can stay with us, and they're they're choosing to do that. Most of their employees are opting back in to continue working for them on some part-time reduced basis. And what I love about it, not just for the the benefit to the company, to the the individuals themselves, but socially, there's some research that shows when someone retires and just disengages from everything, Mm -hmm. their chances of dying early go up dramatically. So these people, unintentionally, are impacting the social good as well by saying mm-hmm. we're going to keep these people plugged in, contributing, reminding them that they have something valuable to offer society. And so everyone's going to get a benefit of them sticking around for a longer period of time.
1: Okay. Can I ask one more question, Trish? Then over Absolutely. to you. Absolutely.
0: You're doing um, great.
1: <laughs> so from from what what you said there, which I think is 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 replicating itself in the UK and definitely if if not across Western Europe. Um, we, we've been talking for years, obviously, about employee engagement, employee retention, um, and there's obviously been a drift, uh, certainly over here since the pandemic, about giving people more agency over how, when and where they work and, and choice. Are you seeing this as well as a kind of what, what people are doing or what organizations are doing to maybe to keep people or to bring people back in who maybe had taken retirement? This plays out into the wider Kind of, you know, if we're offering this experience for these people, we've got to offer it for everyone else too.
2: So the flexibility piece has been one of my favorite things to talk about in the last two years because we actually have done some survey work with the workforce to say, what does flexibility mean to you? Because in my head as an HR person, it's where you're sitting when you're working. That's where we've been trained and all yeah. the headlines only talk about remote and nothing else. And what we find, when we ask the workforce broadly, what does flexibility mean to you? Where I work is number five on the list. The other things that rank higher than that are, Flexibility means choices in how I get my work done, choices in when I work. So having some, some decisions, either days or hours, some, some choices there, um, choices in the benefits, choices in when I get paid, like choices in all these, uh, the training opportunities I have. All those rank higher than where I work, where my rear end is when I'm getting paid to do my job. And I love that because it for those employers that have a frontline workforce or have people that are like, well, I'd love to offer flexibility, but you've actually got to be here to meet with this customer to do this job. For those companies they've been kind of left out of that and this gives them a way to give some flexibility give some tailoring to each of their people to say hey trish i know you you can't work from home that's not possible you're not driving this forklift from your house but we're going to give you a little bit of of control over this next project that we're working on we want you to contribute your best ideas because we think you have good things to offer here and we want you to know that we appreciate everything you bring to the table not just doing this one task but we appreciate everything you have And doing those kind of things is what flexibility means to the workforce. And so I've been trying to educate employers out there listening in that we have other levers we can pull to really engage and connect with them like you're talking about, Mervyn. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I feel like everything you're sharing, Ben, first of all, some of those stats I hadn't even heard yet. So thank you for that. Um, I didn't realize it was that far down the list, right? So that's shocking. And the first thing I'm thinking is, again, back with the HR hat on is, oh my gosh, what I'm hearing you both say, but especially you, Ben, is if I'm an HR leader or even just you know, in an HR department, I really have the ability to use that knowledge very strategically, right? We've complained for years, we did not have the ability to be strategic in HR. I feel like what I'm hearing, both from the economic standpoint to some of these these actual research data points is we actually do, and it's, it's pulling and, and pressing those levers that you're talking about in a way that we wouldn't have done before or even had reason to think about doing even a decade ago, right? Yes. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about, because I know you do talk with a lot of HR professionals. What are you hearing about either their readiness to be that strategic person finally, right, in this way, or are we still seeing that maybe we need to be encouraging HR leaders more and giving them that agency, like we're saying to do for the employees? Do we need to do more for our HR teams? so that they understand they can make some of these strategic suggestions.
2: One of the things that all of us saw in the last couple of years is that when 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 things hit the fan, right, everybody turned to HR to say, okay, now you're the expert in uh, masking and social distancing and all these other things. Like, let's just layer all these things on top of you. When, when new challenges, new troubles have popped up, they don't say, hey, marketing, can y'all figure that one out? No, it's a people problem. And so HR is the first one to say, Put another brick in my backpack. I'll just carry the heavier load because that's who we are. People get into this space because that's just the personality they have. I'm here to serve. I'm here to support our people. Yes, it's hard, but it's worthy and it's important and it needs to be done. In the last couple of years, the spotlight's been on HR more brightly than ever. Mm -hmm. It's hot under the spotlight, right? There's some challenge there. There's some difficulty that comes with that. If you're not ready, like you're talking about Trish, then you may miss your chance to really have the impact that you want to. The way I've been talking about it is... The reason I got into this space in the first place, and for many people listening in this may be the same thing. You may have accidentally like, oh, HR, great. But you may have said, I want to be in this because I want to impact people in a positive way. And unfortunately, there's policy, there's process, there's culture, there's leadership limitations. All these things can hold us back from having that impact we want to have to create the workplace that we are so proud of that we can't wait to tell people about because it's such an amazing place. We take care of people so well. And we now have the chance to do that because the pressures are so high. It's hard to find amazing people. It's you got to keep the very best ones. There's a lot of competition. Right? All these kind of things are driving the importance of focusing on talent. And we have the impact. We have the opportunity now to to have that impact. We've always wanted to, and the stage is kind of set for that. The table set. It's time for us to step up and and really take the action we're meant to take.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. One other quick question I had related to something you said a little earlier was when you're talking about this is really not just a pandemic issue, right? This goes well before that um, across the globe, right, because of birth rates changing and things like that. And I I would say this, I even having been in, you know, the work world for, gosh, almost like 30 years now, um, it's not something I even think about. And so I wonder, are we not paying enough attention to some of those economic factors that do you know, that we're experiencing the outcomes now of things that really changed 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, I actually saw this on TikTok, oddly, but it's it's shocking um, that they were taking uh, data from the Great Depression, which in the United States, of course, is, you know, horrific, right? People were out of work, people were feeling like they did not have enough money to survive quite often. And they took the um, The years of the Great Depression, and they looked at the year, which uh, they they boiled it down to one year where people were feeling the most negative impact, right, on salaries and things like that. And they took that salary, that average salary of a person in that time, in that year, and used inflation rates to say, what would that person be making now? And what they found is that the average salary in the United States right now is lower comparatively, to what the worst year of the Great Depression, what someone was making. And so I think that's where when you really use data to start comparing, right, we have a perception that a certain time was better or worse than another time. And it's not always true. I guess my question in all of this is, as someone who uses data quite often, as you're talking with leaders, not just HR, but other business leaders, do you find that we are collectively as business people aware of some of the accuracies of data out there? Or are we just kind of like working off of assumptions and theories? I fear it's the latter.
2: Yeah. Humans are wired to react. It is hard to be proactive. And there's a great book out there called Upstream that talks about actually planning for things and looking for stuff that's going to change and trying to prevent that that person gets no rewards for preventing something from happening in the future. The person who solves the big chaotic mess in the middle of it gets all the, all the applause, gets all the, you know, praise and recognition and rewards that come with that. And because of that, it's really hard to get leaders to, to buy into, we need to make a change now, even if it's a small change or investment over time to impact that like, no, we've got something else that's more pressing. And then suddenly it's a raging, you know, dumpster fire in the backyard. Like what a, who who didn't raise the issue? Like, we've been talking about this for five years, buddy. It's, it's it, you know, now it's, now it's here. So someone recently, I heard heard someone recently say that we are really, really terrible as a population at responding to something that's been a long time coming. We're really terrible at responding because it seems like it's slow, slow moving. This conversation about people retiring here in the States, like that's not a new thing. That's been, people have been talking about that. I wrote a case study on it in college A bazillion years ago. So all those things have been coming for a long time. We're just bad about responding to them because we think, oh, I'll have time. I'll have time. I'll have time. And I liken it to the the Blockbuster and Netflix sort of example to say, you know, Blockbuster actually had, everybody thinks that Netflix was online. Blockbuster had an online version where you could rent something and you could take it back to a store. So they even had some like benefits Netflix didn't have but they didn't have an algorithm that was very predictive and recommending things specifically to you. And because of that, they waited on that piece of it and that's what ended up kind of catching them. They thought, okay, we'll be able to invest in that. We'll be able to catch up later. And you can't suddenly say, okay, now we've waited Mervin. I need you to run twice as fast to catch back up to everybody else because we prioritize everything else. And now we decided this is important. Yeah. I'm sorry, poor planning on your part does not suddenly make everyone superhuman and able to adjust to change that quickly. And that sort of thing happens all over the place. I was, speaking to a big healthcare organization in Montreal about two months ago. And I'm hearing this amazing speaker from Harvard talking about what's changing in the space and how leadership works. I'm like, why am I even in this room? Like, why am I here talking to these leaders, you know, head of cardiology and all these other, like, I'm about to talk to them about talent scarcity, the book and what the principles are. And after I finish talking about some of the challenges and the limitations on talent, how to hire and keep them, their CEO gets up and says, here's our SWOT analysis weakness, threat, lack of talent, lack of talent, lack of talent. Okay, now I know why I'm here because they start seeing these things and they're starting to say, okay, now it's really a problem. But unfortunately, when it's a small problem, no one wants to pay attention to it because there's something else that they think is more important. We've, we've got to be using this to, to make decisions, make adjustments now. And let's, goodness, let's actually reward someone that's solving a problem that hasn't happened yet versus just focusing on the people who are who are uh, solving the big, big problems that are in front of us right now, because that's, that's not the only thing happening out there.
1: I mean, it's, it's not 100% on what we've just been discussing, but I know that, uh, Ben, you've also been involved in some research recently about success factors in attracting and hiring. And one of the things is about the kind of things job candidates want to see, they don't see. And and I'm fascinated by this research all the time because it's something I've I've done a couple of projects on. And it, it's one of those things that if I think back to the days when I was an agency recruiter, you know, candidate experience is 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 never fixed. Um so I'm I'm interested in kind of your findings, having looked at it maybe more most recently, what what did you find were the, the kind of areas where where organizations, particularly in the time of talent scarcity, um, are just not getting it
2: right? So this is one of the things I've really enjoyed talking about. I know things are things are hard. It's hard to find good people. And a lot of the advice in the industry, Marvin, you can attest to this, is you should talk to candidates more. Share more things. Like, okay, great, but what do I share? I I can't just keep sending the job description; they're going to tune me out. And so, one of the things we asked in the research is, what sort of things do you want to know as a candidate? What things do you prioritize? What do you care most about? And so, things like knowing the starting salary before they even apply for a job—that's a very high priority, especially for women. By the way, we see that in the data that people want to know what that is before they go three conversations deep and find out that they're so far off, they're never going to make it work. Um, When we look at our data on ghosting. And why people are ghosting employers one of the things that stands out is two of the top three reasons are related to speed how quickly can we turn this around i don't want to turn you into a robot and just turn you through a process but at the same time i have to respect your time enough as a candidate to say we're getting back to you we're communicating openly we're trying to share this stuff that makes you feel appreciated so that you don't bail out on us and go somewhere else so having a recruiter in that process that makes you feel appreciated is a really really important piece of that and then one last one i'll throw in there that was really interesting to me is we asked in our research around, do you want to know what sort of career paths, what sort of opportunities are ahead of you as you're going through the hiring process? And seven out of 10 candidates said, absolutely. I don't want to wait until my six month review and sit down with Trish. And she's like, say, Hey, you talked about, you know, career ladder and path and what's what's next for me. Ah, well, we'll get to that later. And then the conversation never happens. So candidates yeah. want some commitment to that during the hiring process, because they're using that as a factor to weigh different offers, different companies, different opportunities. And they want to know what sort of path you have for them. The number one reason frontline workers ghost employers is because they see another dead-end job. They don't hear anything about a career path. They're just being stuck in one more job where they're not going to expect to grow, expect to have any sort of advancement. And they don't want that anymore. They want an opportunity to grow. So lots of stats I threw at you there really quickly, but some practical things in there for anyone listening that wants to create a more connected, engaging experience for candidates out there that really shows them that you you care about who they are and what they're about.
0: I like that you use the word commitment. I think that's uh, over my career, that's always been when I have struggled with like trying, you know, gosh, this will date myself. But when I started, it was we were doing like happiness surveys. How happy are you at work? Right. Then we were like, oh, maybe it's not about being happy. It's being satisfied. Okay. So we're going to change the word. We're going to use satisfaction surveys. Right. And then it went to engagement surveys. How engaged are you? And all the time I kept saying it's about commitment, right? Because commitment is something that you have over a long period of time and it ebbs and flows. At least in my mind, right? You're in like if you're in a committed relationship with anyone or anything or any place, right? It's it's over time, and we're going to all have these sort of a roller coaster of sometimes we're more engaged and sometimes we're not, and sometimes problems happen and sometimes they don't. But like at work, if you're committed, if you know that you're your boss and their boss and they're committed to you, you'll stay.
2: You are a big Disney fan, Trish.
0: And so I am. I'll share this
2: example with you. you see, <laughs> it perfectly aligns with that. Like any Disney trip. Okay. There are highs and there are lows. When you think back about your last, your last (laughs) visit, you don't say, you know what? I remember like that two hours standing in the sun to ride the, to ride the Dumbo thing that last 25 seconds. That was, that was pretty wild. You know, great. Like we don't think our minds gloss over those things because we remember the high moments, like that really fun thing we got to do, that piece we were looking forward to the peak moments. And just like you're saying here, this, every employee, and their experience has peak moments, has pit moments, things that are amazing, that they love, that really touch an emotional value or so unexpected in a positive way. And there are things about it that are not great, right? That time that you accidentally stepped in it at work and someone, you know, and whatever else, like those things happen, but the peaks have to outweigh the pits. And we have the chance, as you were talking about earlier time about the strategic piece, we have the chance to orchestrate some of those moments to really connect with people, create moments that, that, that make them feel committed. That show that we're committed to them and that creates the the relationship we're really looking for in the workplace
0: yeah my daughter she's 19 and she's started interning with me and she said something the other day i didn't even call it out when she said it but it's like been sticking with me a little bit and she said it's about creating a core memory and that you have good core memories and i've just not thought about work in that way but it's true when you think back over your career now that we've all three been working quite a while if, you, if I asked you about any one of your employers, there are probably some good core memories, right, that really made an impact and that really might have helped on those days when it was a harder day or maybe you had a bad experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we don't focus on enough. One of my former bosses used to also talk about it as traditions, right? Traditions that you can count on at work so that it creates that core memory, right? So it's just interesting to me that that still kind of is important as you think about your workplace and the workplace culture. It's not just about giving someone more money. It's not just about giving them training, right? Those things are important, but it is about that connection, that core memory connection that you're going to create with someone, you know? So, totally. yeah.
2: I'll throw one more stat at you if you want to hear it really quick. Please, Actually yeah. not a number, just a, just a, just a, a, a thing that's relevant here. When it comes to the work we're doing as HR leaders, it's really easy. I said earlier, the backpacking metaphor, like right? It's easy to feel like we're, it's all on us. Mm-hmm. We have partners in the organization as managers. And unfortunately, sometimes we, we point the finger. They're the ones that are caused the friction, things like that. But what we find in the data is that they are also the potentially the enablers of this connection, this commitment, because we can't have a connection with every single employee, but those leaders can have it with their people if we are enabling them and empowering them and giving them the right the right track to run on. And one of the big things that came out with our study last year on, on that was it is statistically impossible for someone to say my manager supports me if they don't first understand me. Really mm. getting me and who I am, not just my job title, not just my pay rate, but they know what makes me tick. They know when I mentioned Disney and Trish's eyes light up, right? They know if I'm talking about... <laughs> something British and Mervyn gets excited, right? All those kind of things. Like they know the things about us that really bring us to life or the things that drain us and can tailor how they lead to our perspective. Those are the people that are tremendously more likely in the data to say, my manager supports me. And that leads to all kinds of good outcomes, like feeling like you belong, having high retention, better performance, all those kinds of things. So you're you're definitely on the right track there in the data backup, what you're saying, Trish.
0: That's great. Mervin. I mean, do you are you seeing that? I'm assuming it's the same, right, in Europe. Are you seeing that in the UK and in, in some of the European countries? Because I know you actually travel and speak quite a few places really around the globe. Mm. As you're talking to leaders, are you hearing that they're kind of feeling that same way about that connection piece with, whether it's connection with a candidate that leads to employment or whether it's connection once you're an employee?
1: I think... Um, it's certainly a dialogue that's growing um, and probably not least because people like like me and Ben and you are, are, are talking about it a lot. And a lot of the research we all get involved with shows it that people don't just come to work, you know, I mean, historically you came to work for a, a pay packet and that was it. If you happened to get on with the people you worked with, it was nice, but you know, you, you didn't keep that, but now it is the connection. And this is what's important. And even people who are working remotely, um, they still want that connection. Uh, They still want to feel a part of it. And I know that uh, initially, because it was a pandemic, we couldn't physically meet. But so at the beginning of the remote working and working over Zoom and and things like that, people felt they were losing touch. But I think that we've got enough data uh, now and enough research, particularly from, I would say, the, the, the... Companies who specialise in like well-being, recognition, and those areas to show the importance of the connection and 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 that that I love Ben's point about you know how can you help me if you don't know me and I think that that we expect we expect um, uh, we when we're manager level we 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 don't think we need to know all of that but but we do and I think that's the realisation that's maybe changed. I mean, it, it used it used to be said that 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 you know all, all people will remember about you is is the team you support, the sports team you supported, mm-hmm. and 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 that's about it. But um, it, it's I think we, we we get to know people a lot more. We bring our whole selves to work a lot more, and and you know, nobody stops us. So it's it's kind of Ben was smiling there. Am I, I smiling really big, I
2: something? Mervin? Because yes. when you, I was actually. So my leadership style is not the personal, the relatable, like I'm very focused on the tasks and getting things done. And so when the data came back into that, I had the big frowny face I'm like, ah, oh, darn it. Cause that means I've got to adapt <laughs> how I'm leading my team, how I'm supporting my, you know, right. My group of people that I'm working with, because I can't just say, Hey, have you got these things done? What's next on your list? But Hey, can I argue, can I argue with
0: you can I, on this? You're welcome to Go can for we it. have an argument about this. I'm going to argue with Bring you. It. It. Here's the, here's my take on that. I don't think you have to change your leadership style. What I think you need to do is make sure you have someone else on your team who picks up that other side. I think that's an example of how you and I always worked well together. I cannot stand planning. I hate it. I am not into the details. If I have to be, I can be, okay? If it's interesting, I can be. But I would prefer not to be. So I think as long as you have a blend in your organization or in that department or whatever you're, you know, whatever's, segment you're talking about. If you know, like I always knew when I, when it comes to HR and I was telling someone this the other day, she's, she's an HR leader, she's a manager. And she was saying like, Oh my gosh, you know, these people always come and they cry in my office and whatever. And I said, do you have Kleenex? She's like, well, yeah, of course. And I said, I never had Kleenex in my office. I said, here's why. Because if they came to me, I wanted them to come about the solid business issues that were going on, right? The high-level stuff, we were going to handle big things. If they needed to cry for a long period of time, it's not that I have no heart. It's just I would say go next door to Courtney. Courtney has the Kleenex, right? We knew which one of us was going to be the more wrap-my-arms-around-you person versus the one who's going to be like, okay, now you've cried with Courtney. Let's figure out what we're going to do to move on. So Courtney and I were a great team and that we were able to, to do that together. So I would just offer that as an option. Now, if you're the only boss, then, okay, you got to probably change, but.
2: I'm not changing fundamentally everything, but it's just, I've got to intentionally stop and catch my breath for a second you and say, how was this right? thing? Unless you're volunteering to do to do some of those relational things. And then you're welcome to take up that slack for me at any time, Trish. I would completely appreciate that.
0: See, and now I would, and, but I think that changes over time too, because now I would be that person. I'd be like, Oh my God, let's go cry together. Let's hug it out. And I, I think that's another thing too, whether you're a leader or you're a worker, Um, you know, and never going to be in management. I don't think it matters. I think we change over time the way that we relate to others. And I think the way that we need to be related to with different phases of our lives, right? So now that, you know, I might be much more uh, attuned to someone's emotional needs in the workplace than I was before. When I was in my 30s, I was like, "Uh "Uh-uh, keep moving, go next door. The kinder, gentler Trish is here.
2: You have, <laughs> you have evolved uh, over so, time. There we go. Spend time with people it. like Mervin We'll do that to you. I think en- it makes us a little bit nicer, a little <laughs> more pleasant. There we go.
0: Mervyn. En- can-
1: enlightened <laughs> management styles. Right. We go. That's a whole nother discussion. <laughs>
0: And a hug is. for
2: you and a hug for you
0: and. A- we'll do like a quarterly. Yeah, that'll be our next topic. Well, I know. Look, we've been talking for a long time. First of all, thank you for coming and sharing not just about the book, but some of the research you have that that really ties to it. I want to pose a question of both of you, Mervin. You can think about it. We'll put Ben on the spot right away. Um, you're not a futurist. You don't. At least you don't want to be a futurist exactly. But I'm going to make you pull out the crystal ball. Um, you talk about a lot of things with a lot of different size organizations and a lot of different leaders of, of varying levels, skills, and abilities. My question for you is this. Is there something that we're not talking enough about yet? Maybe it is that sort of, you know, slow-moving train versus the high-speed train, right? Um, we're so focused on COVID. We're so focused now on what's after COVID, right? That's the immediate what would you say? I'm an HR leader. I'm a business leader. What should I be kind of focusing on? Is it the economy? What What are you What are you telling people?
2: One of the things we started measuring in the last year, going back to the commitment, engagement, uh, satisfaction, and happiness comments you made earlier, one of the things we started measuring in the last year is someone's sense of belonging at work, mm-hmm. whether they feel truly connected, and what the the definition of that scientifically is: I feel accepted, respected, and appreciated. And if someone says they feel those things and the outcomes, how they feel about work, their willingness to take on additional responsibilities is dramatically different than someone who says, I don't feel that way about the work relationships I have, the way how I feel connected at work. And I was having a talk yesterday with someone about this. They're like, engagement hasn't moved in 20 years and the the numbers are all the same. Like, well, maybe we need to talk about something else. And so I I think this comes back a little bit to what you're talking about earlier. I have been talking more about that. My team has been talking more about that because we feel like this is a way to talk about work in a very practical sort of way. Ask an employee what engagement means. Like, uh like, do you feel accepted, respected, appreciated at work? Well, they'll give you answers to that question pretty quickly, how they feel right right in the moment. And they can tell you what drives that, what what drains that. And from that sort of thing, we can we have a foundation for a conversation for that commitment we've been talking about. That creates that foundation for it. It's really hard to ask someone commit if I, they don't feel like they're accepted or respected or appreciated when it comes to the work that they're doing. The, a fun stat for, for all of my recruiting nerd friends out there, time back to the talent scarcity thing. When someone is high belonging, they're about six times more likely to say that their company is a great place to work. So if if we're like, how do we, our recruiters are are burnt out, we can't find any more candidates. How about we turn all of our people into recruiters for us by treating them so well? They want to tell everyone about this amazing place that treats them so well. They feel like they've never felt before in a work relationship. I'd say the belonging piece is one that we're really seeing pop out in the data as something that we should be emphasizing more as HR leaders. And for a long time, it was hard to do. It feels just saying that it feels so fluffy and hard to wrap your arms around. That's when we narrow it down to that definition and we can really get an answer from people on how they feel about that. We can start acting on it to create those greater tethers and connections when it comes to work.
0: I love that. I think too, what you said could be for our personal relationships as well, right? If you have those components, you're going to have a stronger connection with anybody. Really? For sure. Yes. Mervyn, how about you? It doesn't have to even be about anything we've talked about today, just from your perspective, right? Your, your globe trekking every single month, what is it that you think is important that people listening to the show really need to start focusing on that maybe we're not spending enough time on. I think I mean I,
1: most of the things I would say Ben's probably covered off. Um visibility I think is important. You know people I mean I've seen research uh, at two or three presentations about people feeling invisible at work. They they don't feel noticed, they don't feel and and if people feel invisible, if they feel that that they're unseen then they don't put in the effort. They don't, you know. It's like a relationship, I suppose. If it only works on one side, uh, at some stage, the person who's doing all the work begins to think, "Why am I doing it? Uh, you know, where's the appreciation?" So I think that the um, and it might be, as I said, quite a bit. Of the research recently I've done is around things like well-being, recognition, and those things. Um, but it, it's it's what it's, it's those are the things that during uh, harder economic times. Um, people think is the easiest thing to cut back on. Mm-hmm. And I was having a discussion with somebody at the CIPD's Festival of Work last week. Um, and we were saying that that, that things like you know, well-being initiatives within organization, um, there's a general feeling that, you know, in harder economic times, they'll just be dropped. And of course, we both said, but you need it more. That's right. That's when you need it more. If there's a possibility the crisis, yeah, yeah, you need to support people. Um, so I think it's just it, it, it's it's understanding people for who they are. And and yes, connection is important and belonging is important. And it, it's I think, you know, it, it, it's getting managers, leaders to to understand that.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think for me, like when when you were talking about that, it <laughs> reminds me. So when my kids were little, actually, even probably today, they're 19 now. But um, when the twins were little if they did something naughty, um, I would say, oh, I love you even more right now because you need it more. Right. And I think that's true even as adults, right. When we struggle, when we have these times of uncertainty, or maybe we don't have all the resources or tools we need in a, in a job, right. We need to love our employees more because they need it more and not pull that back. But I, you're right. I, both of you, we, we pull that away because we think it is soft and it's not, Right measurable well it is it's just it takes longer to get that measurement over time that might come over a, a whole employee life cycle before you get that measurement from that person. Um, i'll just say like for me, I think the topic that that i'm talking about a lot with people that's maybe just now starting to get more traction is around a little bit ben what you talked about at the beginning about the economic piece and you were sort of talking about you know the changing in demographics of the birth rates right so we're seeing that at the front end of employment i would say we're also now seeing sort of the effects of the baby boomers globally now retiring or being close to retirement they're having health issues they're having other you know uh aging elderly issues um just did a show with Uh, with someone about the, I guess, the the mental and physical strain on our employees right now who might be millennials or Gen X who have aging parents and or grandparents or relatives that they are now responsible for. And so what we're starting to just see a little bit is really that pressure, the results of that pressure on our workforce. And so I would say if I'm in HR, I would be starting to really pay attention to that. And what tools and resources can you put into place for your employee population to help address the pressures they might be having at home, right, providing them resources, whether it's financial, um, emotional, medical, right, Um, and just understanding that that is going to be having a bigger and bigger impact as as this population ages. So not only is it going to get us from the standpoint, we don't have enough of us now to do the work. And support them. But now the workers that we do have are going to be completely stressed out because they're going to be handling elderly and potentially children at the same time in a way they've never had to do in separate generations.
2: Pulled on both ends, right? which is not not a pretty picture.
0: No, it's unique because do you think about it? The baby boomers didn't really have that. That was, you know, medical tech and technological advancements were as such that Mm -hmm. people were passing away earlier right, so they weren't taking care of parents up into their 90s or 100s, right, um, so yeah, that'll be interesting in the next 20, 30 years, I think, of how that plays out for the workforce, because it's going to absolutely impact every single person in some way.
2: The, I'll throw really quickly in there, if anyone's curious about this this economic stuff, the demographic stuff, some of the bigger shifts and changes, mm-hmm. two of the books that I read in preparation for writing Talent Scarcity, which is a very HR-focused or business-focused perspective on this, by the way, so if, you want just science and nerdy stuff. There's, there's more practical stuff in there than that. But two books that are a little more academic on this. One is called What to Expect When No One's Expecting. which is Ooh, I like the
0: play on words though there. The,
2: the other one is a little more creepy. It's called The Empty Cradle. So there's two different books on the topic that talk about just fewer people being born. And in case anyone's listening in and feeling like Mervin's left out, I told you the, the US birth rate was like 2.3 is the, the rate for replacement. Um, the U.S. is at 1.6, and the U.K. is at 1.5. So, if, if you're listening in, thinking, "Oh, I left poor Mervin out," I did not. Start there if they're doing it worse 5. than the U.S. Is. Yeah,
0: like that's it's scary. Those stats yeah. are scary, and that's what I'm saying. Like we don't always really we look don't. up. We have an idea of what we think of be. That is so much lower than what I thought that was going to be.
2: Well, like the thing size. is, though, the 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 U.S. government came out recently and said there's no scarcity of talent
0: there's plenty of people everywhere there's look our population stayed the same
2: well they went and said well they will you actually look at the numbers and it's because we're importing people through immigration so quickly that it looks like the numbers are staying stable but that's not a forever solution right once this country realizes hey everyone's leaving we're gonna to have to change our policy make it harder to leave we're gonna to to do something to limit people going like they'll start changing their own policies to keep people from leaving And that sort of thing is going to to be happening out of every developed country in the world. The numbers are below that threshold. Some of them are alarmingly low. Everybody hears about Japan how scary things are there. India right now is one of the only countries that's pretty well developed that has a number above the replacement rate. They are going to be the China of the future. China's right now is is facing a lot of repercussions. If you follow the headlines about their one child policy they enforced for so long, they're starting to see some some struggles, some challenges, and it's just going to get worse over time so it's it's wild because in those books i mentioned a minute ago you see governments like russia saying oh gosh we're below that what can we do we'll incentivize people we will pay someone to stay home and have babies and they won't do it you can't reverse it hardly once it started so it's a it's a wild and potentially scary trend i don't want to rain on anyone's parade out here the, the book talent scarcity has a in there. for HR leaders. If you're listening in, you're like, how do I recruit the example I gave earlier and lots of others? How do I keep people? There's lots of great examples in there. So very practical, but there are some bigger things that are outside of our bubble that we all don't have the influence to fix right now, other than going out there and having one more kid, I guess. So there's my um, first
0: the to you. You're saying that I'm doing my part. Cause I've already told my kids and my niece and nephew who are right at that same age. I'm like, um, we don't like the family's getting smaller. Right. And I, I, said, I, went, you. Right, I said, I did, I told him that I said, I want four or five <laughs> kids from each of you. They're all like, what? I'm like, Oh yeah. Have four or five kids. I want to have lots and lots of kids in our family. See, that's what it is. We Well, um, there's another strategic but, thing a company could do, right. Encourage longer. I talk about years. fertility
2: benefits in the book a little bit, just to say, yeah. Hey, there are things companies are trying to do to adjust it from their perspective yeah. when they can. But th- th- I have yet to see the evidence. Those actually increase. Yeah. increase the the percentage of people doing things it's, it's companies offering that it's an attractive benefit, but sure. I don't know how much is actually impacting the broader world to be good to know.
0: Well, I think because again, we're in a little bit of a phase where the people who are coming into the workforce are still working for gen Xers like me. And we were raised within the workforce as you know, you come in, you work hard, you pay your dues, you worry about getting promoted and things like that before you ever start a family. So we started much later Statistically, mm-hmm. and I think we maybe not on purpose, but we're expecting that of our workers, and that's not it, what we're yes.
2: supposed to be, it's right? cascading.
0: It's the average cascading.
2: age of a woman during giving birth to a child is higher than it's ever been, so yeah. it's continuing to trend upwards. And so, yeah,
0: see, this is fascinating. I to right? close
2: the door on this before I get any more like sadness out there into the world. I know, like, we're ending the show, the,
0: on such a and, the,
1: no. and you've got more and more grandparents now as carers because yes. once. Once the, the, you've had the kids, you, you've you've got to go back to work. So, yeah, the, the right. I, I I can see just amongst people I know and hear of that mm-hmm. the, the kind of, you know, dropping out the workforce for maybe five, six years when you have your kids to raise them to, they begin to go to kind of junior school. Um, that's changed now. It's kind of like the grandparents who are doing the raising because, you know, the mother and father have to go back to work almost immediately.
0: Hey, I'm into I- that. I'll I'll give you a quick
2: happy example if you want to close this out, right? Tied into what you were just sharing there, Mervyn. I'll give you another hat tip to my friends over there in the UK. So in the book, I talk about companies that want to retain or attract people who are at that retirement age, people who are older, maybe even not quite at retirement age, but that are saying, you know what, it's time for my my second career or I want to change something. I'm kind of bored or burned out with this. Um, EasyJet. They're a U.S. or they're a U.K. airline. One of the things they've started doing in their campaigns is to say, hey, are you an empty nester? Have your kids kind of moved on? Are you trying to decide what's next? Have you always wanted an adventure and you had to put your put your head down, just do the, you know, the, the, the responsible thing and just work in a job and take care of your kids? Now that they've moved on. Would you like to try something for you? We've got a job for you. You get to travel the world. You get to see new things. You get to explore stuff that you've never seen before. And we have the job waiting for you. Just give us a call. Here's how you apply for a job. And so EasyJet's using that to target people who are thinking about that next phase of life. And I think it's a brilliant campaign. Goes back to what we were saying earlier about giving the candidate something to hook into that they care about. Not just saying, well, there's a job for everybody, but for you, if you're in this persona, we know you, we respect you, we see you, we We want you. We know what you
0: want. Yeah. I want to go to work for EasyJet. That sounds awesome. Actually.
1: There you go. No, right? I have to, I have to say, and uh, that it's a little bit misleading because EasyJet don't do long haul. But their flights are all around <laughs> Europe, but yes, you do get a chance to explore. Yes.
0: There you go. That's go. awesome. all good. Hey, we could talk all day. We'll probably have to do a follow-up to this at some point, but first of all, Ben Eubanks, thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of your insights where can people find you? What's the best place for you to to connect?
2: Well, if they want to find out more about the book, it's talentscarcity.com. And if they'd like to see any of the research and the work we're doing at Lighthouse, some of the the data I talked about today, that's lhra.io slash access. We'll let you get into the research database and see all the reports and good stuff we've been sharing.
0: And you mentioned HR summer school just happened, but I'm assuming it will happen again. So they can get all the information there about that as well. Um, Read all your other research your other writings for many years right you've just celebrated a a 10-year blogging career right so or no more than that it's been 14 gosh it's close years. to yeah 14 oh. year 14 year anniversary yeah. our
2: anniversary is the same month i think right so it is it's that.
0: It's, yeah it's like march or april so anyway it's been a long time um, thank you for the podcast. chance been a blast. Well. <laughs> do you want to plug the podcast
2: Yep. Uh, onlyhumanshow.com. I do run a podcast called We're Only Human because we're HR leaders, but we are only human and we we need to keep learning, keep growing. So I to talk to leaders just like y'all do here and and have a blast with it. So anyone that enjoyed hearing from me today, we'll get to hear from you more there.
0: Perfect. And Mervin, thank you for coming yes. on with me, co-hosting with me um you you want to mention the books where people can connect with you and also you have a podcast hr means business here on the hr happy hour network um what maybe give us a little insight on what are what are some of the recent topics you've either just done or are going to be covering on the podcast and then tell us about the books real quick
1: thank you for Trish. well uh first the books uh there are two books co-authored with a guy called matt alder uh, and it's exceptional talent and digital talent, and it, we've we've been doing research and writing around how, I suppose the 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 life cycle from from candidate for, first hearing about a job to the relationship that you have with an organisation uh, after you've left, and how that's changed and how tech underpins that. And then the second book was much more about digitisation, uh, huge investment in digital transformation, and how that was impacting the the work experience. Uh, my podcast is hosted on the HR Happy Hour Network. It's called HR Means Business. We've had some recent conversations uh, around culture um, and kind of how it impacts business. The most recent one was looking, uh, funny enough, at, at an organization in the US and how the... the uh, the, the, the mission, shall we say, of the business is somehow is some often touched by negative external narratives and things and kind of what it means for the people internally and how how leaders really understand culture. Firstly, why they should and, and how they do. Uh, we, we've talked about kind of, you know, remote, flexible working and uh, maintaining connection. Uh, and I'm about to record two uh, more podcasts next week. One is interesting about the hourly worker experience because it was I was doing some research on this. And, of course, it's most of what we write about when we write about, you know, in, in employee experience, candidate experience. We're looking at permanent workers. We're not looking at the hourly workers. But, yeah, hourly workers, you know, the experience is is key. Everybody assumes, well, they just want someone that's going to pay pay them and, and on time, but it isn't. Um, and also, uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, employee value proposition and, and, and the, the engagement equation. Um, and, and kind of, again, organizations don't often realize that, that, you know, even once they've nailed their EVP, what, what it really means for longer term engagement and retention.
0: Very good. Well, I love that. Well, for all the podcasts, you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Um, Please be sure to subscribe to all three of the podcasts. And I want to thank also our sponsor, Paychecks, for always making these shows possible for all of you. Thank you all for listening and join us next time. Bye for now.